It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Hey everyone, it's John. Just a couple of bits of housekeeping before the show starts. Firstly, there won't be a podcast next week because I am going on holiday. I'm going to go and spend the week sat by a pool reading lots of books and trying not to think too much about trains. Secondly, since that that will free up like half an hour in your schedule, right? So why not use that time productively to write us a nice review on iTunes? Uh, you know, it really helps people discover that we're here. Um, you know, particularly if you're one of our one of our uh, North American listeners, because. We still don't have enough reviews on US iTunes for, for a rating to appear, and that's starting to really wind me up after 18 months. Thirdly, and finally, I don't remember who it was who, when I was tweeting about, you know, we're coming up to an anniversary, what can we do to, to celebrate on the podcast? And someone out there, I'd love to know who this was, but someone out there suggested that what we should do is a drunk episode. So if you're listening, this is on you. This is a Manhattan-bound B Express train. The next stop is Grand Street. Mind the gap. Hey! Hey! That's, I've, I've literally no idea if that's going to be a remotely usable sound <laughs> for the tape. Uh, Fill us up, John. Yeah, so, hello. It's, it's our slightly late 50th episode celebration, which we're doing in episode 51, for which there's a joke somewhere. 50 episodes, one for look. We didn't even do, like, hello and welcome to... Like, we totally forgot that. We were so excited to have, like, a bottle to open. Hello and welcome to Skylines, the City Metric podcast. I'm Stephanie. I'm John. Hello. Right, OK, we've done that. Okay, now what is the, this? It's... Two centimetres of fizz in my glass. OK, OK, so, so yeah, this was this was meant to be last week's episode, but we couldn't get the diaries to work, so we just, we're doing it now. And um, here's the plan. We have... A bottle of something that came from, I believe, the co-op, which is Carver. It has fizz in it. Um, and we are going to, we're going to, we're going to drink, you're going to listen to us for the time it takes us to drink this bottle while we answer your ridiculous questions that you asked us on Twitter a couple of weeks ago. So thank you for coming back and doing this, Stephanie. Much it's appreciated. lovely to be back. And this is, this is going to be a venture for all of us, particularly for the person who once requested a drunk episode because it's all their fault. So, okay, you, you, you said you were actually organised enough to have picked some, some questions you wanted to answer. Let's, let's start there. Yes, so the big question I think we should answer is... No, hang on, I've got, sorry to interrupt, but we've got to start with this one. Um, from Daniel Kay, who says, what are the best reasons that Leeds is better than Manchester? I'm going to throw some of the sweets at you. I just think we need, to, we need to talk about how Yorkshire is fundamentally better than i don't even believe this i just kind of wanted to annoy you okay, right at the very beginning of the podcast i have three reasons why leeds is better than manchester go on then number 1 its football team is awful so you get that underdog glory Num- oh my god you're actually thinking about this like i, I assumed it was going to be <laughs> like you know because it smells really badly and therefore makes you appreciate the smell of fresh air. It was going to be that kind of thing. But no, I mean, the actually... fresh air is not going to be the metric I'm going to judge either of these cities on. But no, I mean, my first response was because the football team is bad enough, you can feel like it's an underdog win. Actually, Leeds is not a terrible football team. Um, I will say, and I think this is also true of Manchester, but I will praise Leeds for being a very good night out. I think any northerner 
who has been on a night out in Leeds will remember it as a very fun city to go out. And I gather from people who went to university there, it's a great place to go to university. I went to speak at a student media conference in Leeds in May. Did they take you out? No, we didn't get out of the union, but I did have quite a good night in the union at the age of 36, <laughs> which was in no way weird for anyone. But yeah, that was fun. So. What, what I like about this moment is that John, for reference, has poured our carver not into wine glasses, but just into like... You do, not quite a half pint. You know what this office is like. There are no wine glasses. But not only that, I was going to use like the plastic ones you get with the water machine, but they've stopped refilling those. Apparently, we, <laughs> Apparently we can't You're afford those water. anymore. Yeah. Okay. But, 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 but genuinely, I think Leeds is a great city. I think it is a great party town. I think it's a fun town. I mean, obviously, it's not as good as Manchester. I do actually prefer Manchester and also yeah, Liverpool. I mean, generally, I'm a big fan of the northwestern cities, and I find the, the Yorkshire ones a bit weird. But, you know... Please Here's do. a good one from James O'Malley. I'm okay. just going to get you off this topic of Okay, okay. I really just wanted to wind you up. Start, <laughs> start as we need to go on. Where should Crossrail 3 go? Okay, okay, I do have strong opinions about this. I also do, but I'll let you go first. Okay, I think the big problem you have in the London Round Network, as it's currently constituted, is imbalance between North and South. Like North, North London has relatively few overland lines, that aren't connected to like the tube or whatever, South London is absolutely covered with them. So the idea would be a sort of south-to-south route. So what I would do is I would take something, you'd have the lines come into London Bridge, you'd drop into a tunnel, maybe a new station like Bermondsey Spa, London Bridge, under the River Blackfriars, maybe down to Waterloo, I don't know, but then you kind of continue under the Waterloo lines to like Vauxhall and emerge somewhere like Battersea, and you connect up some of the southeastern and southwestern lines, free up space in those two London terminals to which you can run more long-distance services, and it's basically like RARC, which is a nice yellow one that runs along the Seine in Paris. I actually think that is a very good idea, because I was going to say, similarly, in that South London is not particularly well connected within South London I don't think no Um, you have to go into town you have to go into town and then out again but actually the bigger question is you know making London Bridge bearable so fine I'll agree with you on that where would you put HS3 I mean the the problem is we should clearly just be building the the Cross North Link right which has had so many different names by now it's been HS3 it's been Crossrail from the North it's been the Judas Line why are we calling it the Judas Line? Because it's a betrayal to Lake Manchester and Liverpool. Okay. <laughs> Didn't... I think you'll find that ship sailed with the ship canal in... You're not even... You're not going to... Resp- <laughs> you're not, you're not going to give me the satisfaction? No? Okay. Okay. I'm but- going to have some more <laughs> delicious, incredibly acidic... This, this was surprisingly expensive, this stuff, by the way. I, can't, I don't even think I can, ex- I can expense this. This was like. Six- Surely you can expense this. I mean, I, 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 I might try. I might <laughs> tune into a later episode and we'll see how. I can feel, them, <laughs> I can feel people tuning, off in dro- tuning out in droves. It's like, I know they're self indulgent, but this is ridiculous. Let's Join get- in next week for John's Can I Expense This episode. <laughs> Okay. No, t- tell me where you think High Speed 3 should go. I mean, I think High Speed 3 is a bit of a misnomer because what you don't really need is high speed trains across the north necessarily. You just need good trains. And at the moment, it only has terrible ones. So it's not like you need high speed in the way that, that the Eurostar or High Speed 2 are going to be high speed. You just need something that is of a reasonable quality of the sort that links like London and Oxford or London and Milton Keynes. And that's not really there at the moment. If you want to commute from like Liverpool to Manchester or Manchester to Leeds or whatever it is, it's a right pain in the arse and tends to involve the M62, right? So you just need a better train line. And it's not necessarily, yeah. What's your answer? Well, I was thinking, do we not need a high-speed line down into Cornwall? Do we? Well, I think at the very least we need a line into Cornwall that was not built by Eisenbard Kingdom Brunel. And that washes away every year. And why not make it a high speed and upgrade Cornwall's broadband and try to do, oh my God, anything to offset the absolute disaster that Brexit is going to be? We're not going to talk. This is a happy podcast. We're not going to talk about Brexit. Sorry. I did a couple of weeks ago. I was in Paris and I chaired a, uh, I was there to chair a thing at the We Share conference, which is a nice little French pun there for you, on, on, on climate change and how cities can adapt to it. And I did accidentally make... They wanted me to do a little introduction to the subject, and I did accidentally do a three-minute rant about Brexit instead. <laughs> so, okay, so, so so I'm trying to... I'm weaning myself off the subject. The problem with doing high-speed rail to Cornwall is nobody bloody lives in Cornwall. 
Like this, it's just if you look at it from a cost benefit analysis point of view, it's never going to get to the top of the list of priorities just because once you get past Bristol, there is just no big towns. Oh, no, that doesn't make sense. Well, maybe we should extend it into Scotland so that when climate change, your other favourite subject, bites, we, we can all flee to higher ground and on our on our holidays. Yeah. Simon Alvey suggested this isn't even a question, but he did suggest the Sue Jeffrey Memorial Hour. I mean, we've not got an hour, and if we had an hour, I don't think we would dedicate it to that. But are you are you not Team Sue? Like this is this 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 podcast is a safe space for fans of Sue Jeffrey, the Labour's failed <laughs> Tees Valley mayoral candidate. We're the only people who like. I, I don't even think she knows we do this. I think she would be <laughs> stunned to learn that she has become a meme on on a podcast. Yeah. Okay, task for our listeners: if you ever run into Sue Jeffries. Get her to comment on City Metro. Yeah, we would, Sue, if you're out there, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> Can we talk about towns that should be cities? Okay, okay, yes, that was an actual question. So I feel there's one clear contender for this, and that is Reading. Why Reading? So Reading is one of the biggest towns that isn't a city in the UK. It's got a population of 232,000, and just for scale, Truro is... Eighteen and a half thousand, just over. The slight pauses are because Stephanie has researched this and is reading the figures from her phone. I'm sorry that I do research for our podcast. It's not a betrayal, John. It's just... it's not the city metric values to actually go out and check this stuff before. But okay. But okay, no, I have. I actually have thoughts about this because if you're one of our overseas listeners or you don't happen to know much about Reading, Reading is a essentially a commuter town to London. In fact, I think it's one of the towns where the most people commute into London. Yeah, because it's so big, right? Yeah. Because it's so big. But it also has a good tech industry. A lot of IT companies are based there. It has a strong university with great robotics research. And it does have history. There are ruins. There are kind of things going on in the city centre. Every chain your heart could desire. And I think, crucially, people commute to Reading from neighbouring areas at quite a broad scale. Yeah, like we talk about how the southeast of England is the rich bit, but actually it's kind of the south central England. It's like it's the M4 corridor on which Reading sits right in the middle that is the richest part of the country because it's like connected to London and Heathrow and lots of lovely bits of countryside in Bristol and so on. And it's yeah, it's where like the tech industry is based, as you say. So Reading is a pretty big town and the fact that it doesn't have city status and has been repeatedly denied it does kind of show quite how ridiculous the situation is. On a related note, along a similar area of the UK, St Albans, not a city. Yeah. I mean, you're you're preaching to the choir here, because I totally agree with you that official city status, which is granted by Parliament or the Queen, there's different ways of doing it, is complete nonsense. My absolute favourite is, I think St David's in Wales is the smallest official city, which is like 3,000 people. It's a village. See, I was looking through this, and I think there is something to be said for relative sizes of cities. So I'm more than happy to accept that Truro is definitely a city, because within Cornwall it is the city. And ditto kind of places like Stirling, which are very small as UK cities go, because of where they're based in Scotland, I'm happy. Yeah. So I'm happy to make this relative case. That being said, St Albans is tiny, and it's also a commuter town, but more than that, it is basically a place you go for school trips. So again, if you're from overseas, St Albans has a martyr, St Alban, and it has a set of very well-preserved Roman ruins. And so basically, it is the place where if you are from anywhere near the south of England or you go to school anywhere near the south of England, you will probably... Go on a St Albans school trip. But Stephanie, aren't you from the north? I went to school down south. Been down south a long time, John. It's like this is this is shocking new information to me. How did you? Like, you're like I, for all these years. I've just you're from Manchester. Oh. What the hell is going on here? So we have. When I used to work here, we used to have this argument all the time. In that I would go when we moved down south when I was little, and people would ignore it and then get cross when I reminded them of it. Anyway, been down south a long time. Been on a lot of trips to St Albans. Very nice as a tourist destination, not a city. Okay, I, I, I entirely agree with this. I think the official definition is really stupid. And so, like, yeah, as I say, when I wrote a piece explaining why I thought the official definition was stupid, just so, I, literally so I could send it to people whenever they said things like, uh, Reading isn't a city, actually, it's a town, mm. on Twitter. Like, I wrote it just to shut those people up. Um, the example I used was St. David's, and I transposed a map of that 
onto South End on Sea. St David's is about the size of the South End on Sea shopping district. <laughs> and like I'm not saying South End is in any way important or notable or even Ooh, worth visiting to be honest. People are gonna write in about this. I don't know, I spent a lot of time. It was my local seaside town as a kid, so I like I'm allowed to be mean about South End. I do like South End. It's like well it's kind of depressing. It's like the beach is really stony and because you're still on the Thames estuary rather than actually the sea, what you can see across the water is some industrial estates in Kent. It's not a pretty place. It's Okay, but talking of non-pretty seaside towns, and I'm going to re-adopt my professional northerner guys, if you want to keep St Albans as a city... I, I don't. I, okay, but, I, but if, if, if you, it, if it. the rhetorical you wants to keep St Albans a city, you have to make Blackpool a city. Blackpool's... I don't know, actually. I don't think... Like, so, okay, we, we play with the Centre for Cities data quite a lot because they're our, our friends, Splash, you know. Yeah. <laughs> we're, we're, John has had one glass of coffee. Yeah, it was a big glass. But, yeah, we're working on it. Yeah, so the Centre for Cities are our friends, Splash, they give us money. And they have a list of, of cities which we write about, the data on these cities, and I don't think Blackpool's in there. And this is a fairly expansive list. Like, this list does include Reading. It also includes Slough. I mean, John, I've got no... We expelled Hastings. Hastings was in there, but it recently <laughs> fell out. I have no beef with the Centre for Cities. Hello to Rita and everyone at the Centre for Cities. Please keep sending me off. Oh, there. Anthony, who I, I called out to last week, he's now listening to this podcast from the beginning, so we'll get to this in about 2020. <laughs> well done for catching up when you get here, Anthony. But So my reasons are threefold. Firstly, again, it's one of the top 20 biggest towns in the UK, which I think puts it in the zone. Yeah. Secondly, it is also a tourist destination. People do go to Blackpool. And it has a rich history, particularly 20th century history, particularly between the wars. There's a lot going on there. But most importantly, I think you should be allowed to call your weekend in Blackburn a city break. You said weekend in Blackburn. Oh, fuck. <laughs> we're going to we're gonna have to... I'm going to have to beep that out. I've never worked out what the beeping Are you beeping out the swearing or are you beeping out the word Blackburn? I'm, I'm just going to leave the fuck in there, I think. Like, I don't think anyone's monitoring us to lose our universal rating. It's like, this is, this is, all, this is all real, guys. This is, this, this is, this is city metric war, raw and unedited. I love that you have a drink and you start slurring your technical terms and I have a drink and start... Mixing up your northern towns. Cities. Northern cities. Blackburn is not a city. Blackburn is on the list of centre for cities. cities. What? No, just for context, my partner's from Blackburn. Why? Why? What? Oh no, he's, he pretends to be from like a rural area now. He doesn't tell him he's he's not. He's a city boy now. <laughs> it's a city. It's like, is it? Can we can we do this one, which I'm really excited yeah, about? Yeah, go on. Curtis Howard eighty four asked, "Is Redcliffe Maud good?" Sorry, but the way you pronounced that made it sound like he was Curtis Howard and he's aged eighty four. I think we. I believe he's wrong. probably aged thirty two or thirty three. Okay, was born fine. in nineteen eighty four, but good? maybe is Redcliffe Maud good? What is that? Well, I'm very glad you asked, oh, actually, Stephanie. Oh, no. <laughs> I can't believe you fell for that. So, so Redcliffe Moors was the big government uh, commission in 62, 63, I think, about reorganising British local government, English local government specifically, rather. And it, had, it proposed the system of, oh, I think it was provinces was the top level. So we would have had provincial government. There would have been seven or eight English provinces. <laughs> Then beneath that, there was a second layer, which I will tell you the name of in a minute because I'm currently Googling for it. And below that, there was a local one. So sometimes you still had unitaries. But they did all sorts of weird things. So like Redcliffe's more definition of Essex dropped parts of Northern Essex to put them in with Suffolk and parts of Western Essex to put them in with Hertfordshire because it did it all based on where the actual connections were rather than historic right. boundaries. Okay. So... Other things this report did were, so its version of Greater Manchester was bigger than the one we got, and it was called Selneck for South East Lancashire, <laughs> North East Cheshire, which That's is a so terrible, it's a it's terrible name. It? Yeah, but it, but yeah, so it was like the original version of like, how do we reorganise English local government? Um, and I actually think it's a great shame that this or something like this never happened, because it's quite radical, but it is at least rational. Like some thought has given in, been given to it as a system. So you have like strategic planning at the provincial level, then you do like local planning beneath it. Um, 
And, and we just ended up with this weird patchwork where some areas you have county councils, but some areas it's all unitary authorities and like... And, and people still argue about whether or not they're in like the metropolitan area. And it's like, no, don't get me wrong. It's given me a lot to write about over the last three years. But I think probably if we'd implemented Redcliffe Maud, then we would have stronger local government. We would be less dominated as country by London, specifically Westminster. And I think we would probably have more investment in things like local public transport and, and, and maybe we wouldn't have a housing crisis. But, you know, you've got to remember, as I say this, that I'm now about two glasses in, so I'm probably just talking nonsense. <laughs> Tomorrow morning you're going to get the headline, you know, City Metrics John Ellidge says Redcliffe Maud would have saved us from the housing crisis. Yeah, you should write kind of, that piece. No, I, I mean, I, I will do, but there's a lot of effort. Like, but I will actually, like, basically the, the Liverpool one is the Liverpool city region that now has been created, plus, I think, West Lancashire, which is where, um, what's the name of that? Skemsdale. Good old Skemsdale. Where, yeah, so, like, so like it was, it's, 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 I, I'm just, I'm, I'm just amused by the word Skemsdale now. So let's. <laughs> You're going to make it sound weird for saying it too much. Yeah, Skemsdale. I do, I do think it's a great, a great missed opportunity, and I kind of think sometimes it would be nice if we could, if there was that kind of royal commission that just said, right, this is what we're going to do with local government. I don't care where you think you live. Here, for governmental purposes, is where you actually live. And we didn't just have all these endless rows about whether or not, you know, Halton was in Liverpool or whatever it is. I just, um, yes, but I think we don't care about what you think, where you think you live is disastrous. <laughs> Is it though? Yes. Is it really? Identity is so important. That's how we have so many great rows on this podcast. I mean, it's again, it's important in terms of giving me something to write about. But I think in terms of like making government function. So like you're talking to someone from Romford here. Like, did did you see my story about Hexit? (laughs) No. Okay, so the borough I grew up in, which is Havering, London's easternmost and most Essexy borough, uh, has. It's having, oh, when is it, Wednesday 26th of July, I believe? The, the UKIP contingent on the council is, call, is calling a council vote on declaring unilateral independence from Greater London. I mean, that sounds quite funny. You're not behind it. <laughs> John is just aggressively <laughs> blinking. I mean, like, what do you bloody expect? I'm going to refill okay, your to, drink. Yeah, OK. But to give you a sense of what, what Havering is, is like politically, there are only... Oh, oh, crap, God, oh crap. God. Get the head off. Sorry. We've just we've just had a carver escape there. <laughs> I, did, I did tell you this was going to be entirely real. Um, so there are only, of the 54 councillors on Havering Council, only two of them are Labour. And that's actually the sixth biggest group on the council after the Tories, UKIP and three different residence associations. This is the kind of place it is. And like, they don't like, I don't know why, but these guys, the council as a whole is not a big fan of Sadiq Khan. I, I, I don't know why that might be. Um, maybe they're not a big fan of his, his bus hopper policy. I've heard can, it is that, yeah. Where you can, where you can change buses without paying a second fare. They're probably very bothered about that. I think they have a very reasonable that. principled objection to that based in patriotism. Um, yeah, 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 it's definitely, it's, it's some kind of, maybe, maybe they, they dislike his housing policies. I don't know. There's just something about the guy they don't like. But they think, you know, Havering has never really bought into the London identity. It's much more like Essex. So it makes more sense for it to be, a, a unitary authority in the county of Essex. And it's nonsense. Like, there is a tube line there that's going to be cross-rail. It is part of the London housing market. You should be, like, planning what happens in Havering as part of the... Stop smirking at me because <laughs> no. I'm trying not to belch into the microphone I'm just finding it so stage. funny that if any of our listeners had ever thought, John's quite a cool guy, I wonder what it's like to go to the pub with him. The answer is he has... Like one drink and the problem, goes on long rants about the problem with you, Stephanie. Do you want to know what the problem with you is? Do you really want <laughs> is to it know? That I can drink? Yeah, fuck. We're just swearing now. Um, no, okay. Yeah, so, so like, I think there are two things. Like, okay, Havering is very Essex. Like, being from Essex is weirdly a part of my identity, even in the way that, like, I'm kind of. Well, exactly. I'm not like point. you would expect someone from. You're Essex not a to Londoner, be. but if, well, you're an Essex person. Kind of, are, yeah. That's true. But, like, nonetheless, it still makes sense to treat Romford as part of London when you're, like, doing anything important for governmental purposes because, sure. like, everyone there commutes into London. Is Reading in London? I don't think I've ever seen a definite... I mean, you clearly asked me that question because you'd just eaten a sweet and you therefore didn't want to have to talk for a bit because it's quite chewy. Um, 
Reading is, I don't think I've ever seen the definition of London that goes out that far. The, the Eurostat definition of metropolitan London is the most expansive. That's like 13 or 14 million and takes in, that it goes as far as Southend and Tunbridge Wells and covers much of Hertfordshire, for example. I don't think it quite makes it as far as Reading, okay. but... Okay. Do you remember that time you fell in a hole? You're still, like, obviously space-filling. I'm still wearing the knee strap, by the way. <laughs> Like most of the time it's fine, but just occasionally there's a twinge, so I kind of wear it the odd day for support reasons. Oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> it's like, Emotional support reasons. You don't, you, don't, you don't heal as fast when you get to my age. <laughs> okay, I like Al underscore S, who I feel I should show you because his screen name is decorated with fire oh, yeah, and Astora. bike emojis. Yeah, we quoted him before. Astora. Okay, he's got a great question in that he's asked us to pitch a transit idea for a UK city that's more ill-conceived than the Dangle way, and adds, but not, I don't know, buses made of ham. So I both have an ill-conceived scheme that is happening right now, and I have an actual idea that I think is good that I want to pitch, but I wonder if you've got any thoughts first. Well, in the time it took you to ask that question, I picked up one of your sports mix and started eating it, so it's probably for the best that you did the talking for a bit. No, I've still got the black ones, though. Mm. Um... So I think we should talk about the Manchester bike hire scheme. Please do. I don't know if anyone has been following this on Twitter. Helen Pidd, Northern editor of The Guardian, has been doing a lot on it. But Manchester introduced a bike hire scheme, and I think the best way to follow the progress of the scheme is to talk about Helen's tweets, which started with her writing this article about how great it would be and how it could be better than Boris bikes. And the heart of the scheme was that you could hire a bike anywhere. It would lock when you were done with it. And rather than be at docking stations, they'd just kind of be dotted about the city and you could go and unlock it with your phone. So these are these are private companies which are very big in a lot of Asian cities called O-Bike is the one I can remember the name of right now. But there's like three or four of them competing in a lot of cities like Shanghai. And they all work on this kind of app-based model where you pay via the app and then you unlock it with a code and then you lock it again afterwards, right? But the bike is... The fundamental thing is the bike is on the street somewhere, not in the docking station. Yeah, and... So when I heard about this, my immediate thought was, you know, I know Greater Manchester, originally it's where I'm from, this is not going to work because a minority of Manx have an aspect of criminality, but the ones who do thieve are very good at thieving. And I felt that this perhaps slightly prejudicial statement (laughs) bore truth (laughs) when I heard... Stephanie um, can be reached at Stephanie Boland at... (laughs) Not even my email address. The um, but I, I, I felt I felt that this slightly prejudicial statement based mainly on my extended family um, <laughs> <laughs> became brilliantly true on my mum's side. Grandma, if you're listening to this, I don't mean you. Um, kind of was was justified, or I felt you know my views. I felt very edified to hear what I understand. It's a story of. Um, somebody going to unlock a bike and following to where the bike is on the app and finding it was inside a man's front garden. (laughs) (laughs) And this guy kind of went, but I've taken it out. And she went, no, I've I've just done it on the app. And he went, no, I've taken it out and wouldn't let her in the front garden. And so this is my kind of, you know, and it's now got to the stage where the op-eds have changed in tone from (laughs) where this is going to be better than the Boris bikes. You know, some of these are popping up in in London now. Um, And and the criticism I've seen of a lot of them is actually a slightly different one, which is it just leads to piles of bikes being left everywhere. I mean, that also does make sense, but I really, I draw your attention to Helen Pidd's article in The Guardian. Manchester's bike share scheme isn't working because people don't know how to share. Oh, so sad. (laughs) But I I, I wanted to push back against the idea of piles of bikes being a problem because no one seems to have a problem with the piles of cars left everywhere. Why are piles of cars fine? If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improved definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. 
For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash spoken today. Do you hate cars, John? I don't hate cars. I do. I own a car despite living in Central You own a car? Yeah, it's a 1999 Nissan Almera that used to belong to my great aunt-in-law. That's a very Essex it's a very, sentence. It's a very lit. It's a very literal little old lady car. It's like it was such an obscure failed model that when when we needed the new wing mirror for it, it was really really difficult to track one down because they never <laughs> sold like four of these things twenty years ago. Um, but but yeah, no. So I, we do have a car for for when we require it, but we don't use it very often. I think generally speaking, actually giving up space to cars in 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 London, and I'm a massive hypocrite here, is kind of bad. Maybe you should sell your car and Do use want... a car hire scheme with an app. Would you like to have that conversation with my wife for me? No, I really respect and fear your wife. I would not do that. Okay, then. <laughs> <laughs> I, I don't well, think... if Sarah thinks it's a good idea, I think it's a good idea. Yeah, well, there we go. <laughs> I, don't think she, I don't think she listened to the podcast recently. I think my father-in-law might. So, hi, Alan. How, how you doing? <laughs> okay, can we talk about a transport idea that should happen, though? I think we should extend the Glasgow subway. Okay. I've actually, I mean, I've actually stolen this theory off Dominic Hind, who said it to me in the pub last week. But um, Glasgow should be growing, and it does not have a good city public transport system. And his theory, which I'm inclined to believe, is that the council and various local authorities have refused to properly invest in the transport system and are thus scuppering Glasgow from becoming basically the techie modern hub that it should be becoming within Scotland. But I've never been to Glasgow, is the first thing to say. It is, I believe, the largest British city I've never set foot in. Really? It is, yeah, no, I keep meaning to, haven't got around to it. Well, maybe we should do a Skylines on tour and go to Glasgow because it is a fantastic city. If anyone up there in Glasgow is listening and has, you know, some train tickets, we can definitely talk about that. But yeah, but my... Why, why, why would they have train tickets from I don't London know. to the city that they live in? I don't know. People have things. It's like, oh, you shouldn't have. That's... I, why would they want the train ticket to Glasgow when they live in Glasgow? But okay, but like, I'm, my understanding was that Glasgow actually had quite a good rail network. Because it does, it does have the subway, it does have the Clockwork Orange, which there is a debate about the number of lines there are on that, because Glaswegians would tell you there are two, and in fact there is obviously one that goes in two directions. So it's an iconic subway, but is it a subway entirely fit for purpose? But it also, I mean, it has a lot of commuter rail lines, right? It's not, it's not it Leeds, we've already talked yeah, about okay. Leeds. okay, it does have good commuter rail We haven't rail talked lines. about Leeds, that was on the other podcast I recorded earlier before I started drinking the car that I talked about how Leeds, in fact, has no public transport okay, whatsoever Okay, you can go of. back and listen to that one on um, That one's actually going to come out later, so there's something How's to look forward to. How's public transport in the so-called city of Blackburn? That's my question. It's not my question, don't answer that, I don't care. <laughs> well, it's funny you should ask, actually. <laughs> I know nothing about public transport in Blackburn. Um, but okay, so... It has, re- yeah, it has relatively good connections, and actually, only from my personal experience, I'm sure various Scots can write in and talk on this, I think the transport between Edinburgh and Glasgow is not bad either, in a way that, as we've said before, between Manchester and Liverpool is terrible. Yeah. I mean, for those who don't know Scottish geography, Edinburgh and Glasgow are kind of at either end of what's known as the Central Belt, which is like where something like half the population of Scotland lived in the, the reasonably urbanised area, right along the middle of the country. Between the Firth of Forth and the Firth of Clyde? Have I got that right? I'm not sure. Look at a map. My main... You're listening to this podcast, you like maps. Look at a bloody map. Don't expect us to spoon feed you of everything. 
John is drunk. <laughs> I'm not drunk exactly. I'm. I wouldn't say merry because. <laughs> <laughs> I'm on my 51st podcast <laughs> and I'm having a great time. Um, the, and the transport links actually from Edinburgh down into the borders have just been rapidly improved. Oh, yeah, they just line. built a new line it's here. very, very good. Well, they reopened a line, actually, so like... Yeah, it is. I know it's an old line that has reopened. But that's very good for the borders, which I think people think of as, you know, a Tory greyhound wielding posh boys paradise. And actually, that's only Selkirk. But, um, Do you ever get a sort of romantic idea? Romantic in the sense of, like, Poetry around 1800, not romantic as in, you know, dating. Do you ever get this romantic idea of, like, going to, like, some of the most rural and obscure bits of the country? I occasionally get this weird urge to go to, like, Western Wales or something, where there's just nothing. It's beautiful, though. You'd really, really like it. And yes, and then I go. You should go. <laughs> I, I've never been to any... I've been to Cornwall many years ago, but I've never been to the extremes of the country. Like, really? I, I mean, I write like about it. cities, Steph. I, like, 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 I think you would like lots of these places. I think you, know, you would I really would, enjoy the Isle of Skye, and I think they would enjoy you. I would like to spend... Some, what, did, what does that mean? I just think they'd find you quite a jovial, suitably witty and dour chap. Okay. That, they have a lot of... Am I dour? Is that I, what I yeah, am? Yeah, you're reasonably dour. You're not perky. I'm, I mean, no. No one would ever call me perky in any sense of the word. <laughs> but, you um, know, I'd like to go to the west of Scotland. I've not done it. Well, maybe you could do a tinier cities tour. Yeah, I mean, again, the problem is just, like, if anyone wants to sponsor this, like, I'm, I'm getting gradually braver about the kind of spurious trips I will expense. But fundamentally, like, to do anything that's going to require actual sort of time or effort, I can need someone to... If you're the mayor of a small city... Why are you taking my booze away from me? Because oh, you're giving yours, me more of your booze. Yeah, okay, that's yours, allowed. Yours overflowed. And it I did. Feel yeah. Bad. Okay. A question from John Hannon. No relation. Good. Um, has a city ever really escaped its economic history? What would a realist Ooh. growth strategy look like if we quit trying to remake places anew? Oh, that's a very exciting two-part. It is. I think you're probably better placed to answer the first part. You say this, but I read this out because when I saw it earlier, I thought, well, that's a really good question. I've got a really good answer to it, and now I can't remember what it was, so I was really hoping you were going to dive in there. I suppose it partially depends on the timescale we're talking about. Yeah. I mean, I think the first thing to say is it's actually... You can't really kill a city. Like, if you consider somewhere like Rome, which Rome was obviously the centre of the world 2,000 years ago, and then... It collapsed several times, and it, but it never went completely. Is this just because there's a kind of geographical reason why Rome rose to become the city of the world, and therefore it's always going to? I mean, revive p- partly, but like you've got after but, uh, but, after four seven six. But also, there definitely are dead cities because there's completely empty cities in, say, Russia, and you also will have places worldwide that have. Russia has a falling population. That's quite weird. That is quite weird. Like, Russia has a major demographic crisis, which is a completely different one to... Why is that? Uh, I think it's all sorts of... I think the economy has not been great for a long time. I think there's a lot of people who have deliberately left for that reason. Also, like, we did... Very early on in City Metric, we did a lot of pieces uh, based on data produced by one of our sister companies before we got into bed with the Centre for Cities. Hi, guys. Um... (laughs) We use city, we use data from from Timetric, uh, and one of the trends you can see in a lot of the stats on, on European cities is that cities in the in Eastern Europe have seen their population decline, and also the men die really young. Okay. Like so, they have a major gender imbalance, right? It's something like in the, in the West, it's like fifty two forty eight in favour of women, right? Mm-hmm. Whereas in in Eastern Europe, in a lot of these cities, it's more like sixty forty. Because a lot of guys literally drink themselves to death by the age of 50. It's really upsetting. Wow. And I think Russia has that problem writ large. I think it's just, you know, it was a depressing place to be for many decades. So I think if people get out, they did. And didn't feel particularly like they wanted to have children. And Yeah, and it's a huge country. It's like, you know, it's literally the largest country on earth. So there's a lot of empty space there. You can just abandon a city and it's not going to cause problems. Like, Britain is small enough. If you abandoned the city, we would find another use for it pretty damn quick. I really like this idea that somebody's written in and gone, talk about renewal and places that have managed <laughs> to talking, reinvent themselves. And we're like... They're talking about post-Soviet Russia. The Russian birth rate, that's a problem. Um, I actually think of the, 
the examples I go to of cities where they've not entirely escaped their, their economic history, but where I feel signs of hope. Actually, Manchester, I think, is a very good example. Like Manchester is, it's a good place to be. There's an energy to it. It feels like it's it's bounced back from wherever. And I think you can see something very similar in like Cleveland, Ohio, which is quite similar to Manchester in that there's like a lot of universities, there's a lot of big medical centres, quite a young vibrant population so despite the fact that 10 15 years ago it was seen as quite a depressing place to be it's now somewhere the hipsters are moving to and i think this will also happen if it's not already happening in detroit which i gather is also quite a cool place to go it's got a very vibrant music scene i yeah, there I, are I, things happening there did, the, i went to detroit on my on my tour last year i think we oh, talked about this yeah and what really struck me about it is it has the most amazing architecture like, the downtown has all these amazing skyscrapers from, like, 1900, 1920 of the sort that, you know, you see in New York or Chicago and everyone kind of oohs and ahs over them. And you don't think of that in Detroit. You just think of, like, car building and Motown. And it's just absolutely stunning downtown architecture. And you could they could make something of this place again, you know? And I will say, because my dad doesn't listen to this podcast, and I hope everyone else can forgive me, I think Liverpool is like this as well. I agree. No, I really... This is actually what I think is the big difference between the, the northwestern cities and the Yorkshire ones. I think Manchester and Liverpool just... They have the look and feel of big cities. In a way, Leeds... It just doesn't. Well, just the centre of Liverpool where they've regenerated kind of all the middle of the shopping streets. And you go out there now... Um, I was up there, was up in the Wirral in May. And if you... Going to the city centre, you now see, obviously, at huge cost, they've revamped um, the shopping streets. And there's now places to sit out, and there's bars spilling into the street, and there's restaurants, and there's people out there with their kids sat on the steps. And you go, this feels like a city where people want to be out and about and want to be doing stuff again. And that, I think, I know we kind of talk about municipal power versus soft power and identity and things like that, but I think there is a real value to city centres of just getting people on the street again yeah and having people enjoy public space i think it's one of the best things you can do in terms of bringing a bit of spirit back into your city centre it's, it's street life it's why i think cities that are too car based often feel a bit dead because so okay i a, a u.s city i spent a lot of time in is, is greater miami we used to, we've done the drive between um, the place we stay in, a suburb called Hollywood, which is, you know, not that Hollywood, <laughs> no, obviously. No relation. Yeah. <laughs> it's actually, I, I didn't realise until I'd been there a couple of times, it's named after the Los Angeles one that actually came later. Oh, God. Um, there's like 15, 20 miles up the coast. It's a, it's the most stunning drive, just driving down Ocean Drive and then um, Collins Avenue. And and we always go to South Beach, which is you know, South Beach is hell. It's it's this amazing Art Deco architecture, but we always end up at the same like two places because everywhere else is a bit you know spring break the whole time. And we thought one time, okay, why don't we try a different bit? We've passed loads of interesting places in in North Beach. Let's go to North Beach. And the problem is, you do pass many interesting places. They're not in walking distance of each other, right? And yeah. you don't realise this when you're driving. You can't park up somewhere and just kind of stumble along and find half a dozen different things that are interesting. You, you have to specifically decide on the destination. I'm going to go there and then there and then. Yeah. And this is why my favourite places in the US are places where they're centred around a university. So in Miami, I feel the most friendly place to be as a Brit who's not got a car is Coral Gables because there's a big university there, slightly more walkable yeah. Apart from, obviously, there's a huge road cutting through town, which I once stayed in a roadside terrifying motel at. And, and similarly, Cambridge, Massachusetts, one of the most friendly, walkable places I've been in the States because it's attached to Harvard and the universities there. So, This is one of those things that I find slightly counterintuitive, but I think is true, is that to a certain extent, dense cities are better. Cities okay. where everyone is piled on top of each other, where it's like apartment blocks and you can walk between cafes and bars and your place of work. Or they're more. In, I mean, like, I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago. I said this already. I've already done the pun. Um, I was in Paris a couple of weeks ago. And Paris is an amazing town for wandering around because you, even if you're in a boring bit, you walk two blocks. And, and there's stuff, yeah. right? Yeah. And the problem with car-based cities is it's quite difficult to find the stuff. See, I... I, I agree with this particularly at the moment because last weekend I was in Zurich in Switzerland which I think has obviously is very unlike Paris in a lot of ways but is also a city you can really walk in it's a tiny city and it has a very good tram system I tried to send you a 
photo of a book about trams, and I think you ignored me, possibly. I don't, think I, no, I don't think I got that, no. <laughs> I found you did book. the first time misspell it as teams and then made the joke about winding Connor up by looking at footballers, which I assume is a joke. Maybe you were going around, maybe you were literally going around Zurich perving on, te- on footballers. I don't I know. Might have been out, I might have been out for a while at that point. Never DM more drunk stuff. Sorry. Um, no, but it was I found it. I found a book in Zurich called The Tram Generation about what impact the trams had on the city, and wanted to bring it back for you, but I didn't buy it. Um, also, Swiss German, which I presume you don't speak. I don't know. Um, but it's a very similar thing in that you can go out and there'll be a restaurant and there'll be a bar, and the number of teenagers just out by the lakeside because it's very easy for them to get home afterwards. And again, it feels like a city alive. So yes, dense cities are good. Yeah, and I feel that's something that London, modern London, does very well. Since in the 90s, people started moving back to the centre of town. It became aspirational to live in zones one and two again, rather than the place you would get the hell out of as soon as you could. And I think central Manchester and central Liverpool have that. I think the challenge for a lot of the big regional cities is spreading that beyond the centre. Because so many of those cities, they have amazing city centres and then you step outside them and it's the end of the world. Although I think that's also the challenge for London in some ways is... Okay. But our end of the world is a bit further out. It's like Zone 4. It's like, oh great, Streatham. You know, it's like... <laughs> yeah, sure. But I think there is a challenge, especially as London continues to grow, in that if my commute on a bad day can be an hour, I'm not then going out when I get home because by the time I get off that bus, I just want to be at home. And so the question needs to be, how do you create enough stuff in my area of London? And lots of boroughs of London have responded very well to this. And you, For me, the test is always, can you pass a whole weekend without going into the city centre? And I'm sure this is a kind of thing worldwide for people mm. in commuter belts. Is When it gets to the weekend to do stuff, do you want to go into town or can you just hang around where you live? Um, and I think how different parts of London respond to that over the next five years will be really key to where becomes worth it <laughs> i can i can do that because i live in islington i'm that kind of punt but like i'm yeah. aware there are other places quite close to the center of london you you wouldn't want to do that yeah, yeah. we have a question from joe farnworth mayers who asks why it, are... can i just say we've been going quite a while it takes longer to drink a bottle than i thought it would like i'm we should be we, we've been going 45 minutes we should be wrapping up but it's like oh, we'll say the bottle is now empty we only have stuff left in glasses well, i'm done yeah. you're done i'm doing another you i've been talking talk for too a bit. much have a sweet cheer, have yeah. a sweet anyway joe farnworth myers asks why are coastal towns and cities so shit other than brighton and what this did is it started an argument in the comments about whether as thomas park says whitley bay makes your new age collective look like a quarry with some hills attached Whitley Bay is just outside Newcastle. Um, anyway, it descended It's into... where our friends in the north are. Where the characters that will come from. And is it At where... some point I want to do a podcast about our friends in the north. Largely an excuse for rewatching our friends in the north, which is amazing. I feel like there's something else filmed in Whitley Bay. Anyway, it very, very quickly descended into caps lock shouting. And then I don't see Labour conference going to Whitley Bay, so I think I, I win. I mean, that's a whole other question, but... Do our coastal towns and cities shit? I think there is a structural problem where they used to be resort towns and now they're not because cheap flights are a thing and why would you go to Blackpool if you can go to the Mediterranean? Because the tower has a glass floor. You're not really selling it. I am selling it. You have no taste. Guys, you stand in the tower, you look down... Oh, good, I can see my imminent death. Yeah, Why would you... it's, right, it's great. John, you love an existential crisis. You'd adore Blackpool. But like, I can get an existential crisis if I got... Oh, actually, this is the, one of the worst... Honestly, this really shook me. This is one of the most... <laughs> Did you stand up too fast? <laughs> Fuck you. I, this, this, I like this new swearing thing we're doing. Um, no, one oh, of the most gonna... shaken I've ever been... One of when... the most shaken I've ever been. Shut up. We need to stop this soon. We're going to go to the pub in a minute. It's fine. Um, when I got on the wrong branch of the London Overground, I was trying to get to Peckham and I got on the Crystal Palace branch and I was so freaked out and I realised I'd, I'd got on the wrong train. But that's the branch that goes to my flight. You should have come by. This was like a year and a half ago. So... I didn't live there then. If it happens again, you should come round. Also, in my experience of turning up to people's flats unannounced, it doesn't always go well. Well, you can DM me and then we'll let you in and we'll make you a cup of tea. 
Can we stop this and go to the pub yet? <laughs> no, I want to hear you talk about coastal towns and cities and how shaken you are when you get on the wrong branch of the No, I think, yeah, no, I think there is an economic problem in that a lot of them, are in the same way a lot of northern industrial towns, they have a purpose that is not there anymore because the industry has moved on. It's not really any difference different if your your industry is tourism so like brighton has found a different purpose because it's now kind of you know arty green people homies club yeah it's like it's like a sort of london enclave mm-hmm. and bournemouth also kind of in the like bournemouth is I actually bournemouth big has enough really retained its status as a tourist destination as well i mean bournemouth has a microclimate which is kind of weird you do get quite good weather down there in a way you don't in much of the country but also like bournemouth is like it's like two hundred fifty thousand people again it's like a fair-sized place that can kind of survive on its own it's Mm. not just a resort town whereas a lot of the 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 places that are only there as seaside towns for day trips from london or manchester or whatever those day trips don't happen anymore see i really really like whitley bay and Actually, last time I was in Whitley Bay, there are really nice pubs and bars and cafes there. So I, it, it kind of makes me wonder at our definition is of a successful city and town in that is scaling up and robust infrastructure and all of that always the goal. I think there's probably also a definitional problem that if you go to one of these places and there's the wrong weather that day, you will come away with a completely different idea of it than if you go and it's glorious sunshine. I don't know, I've never been to the coast around Newcastle when it's not been awful howling rain, if not snow. And I do still quite like oh, it. Oh, you can't. Do you like the Smiths? What's that got to do with anything? I don't know, I was just going to say, like, you probably quite like it when it's raining and you, you're, you're, you're pretending to be from Manchester and my mind went to the Smiths. I, I do like the Smiths. Should we go to the pub? Yeah, let's go to the pub. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Are you a reality TV junkie? Do you ever think, dang, I wish I had someone to talk to about all the trash TV that I watch? Well, look no further, garbage lover, because Reality Gaze is a podcast for you. Hello, I'm Maddie. And I'm Poodle, and we're the Reality Gaze. We talk about all your favorite unscripted shows like The Golden Bachelor, Love is Blind, and TLC's big, messy behemoth, 90 Day Fiancé. And if you're driving to work, folding laundry, or just pretending to listen to your husband talk about sports, just put on the pod, and you've instantly got two gay besties spilling all the tea and reading these people for filth. So come at us, y'all. Find Reality Gaze wherever you listen to podcasts. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.